Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. We have an awesome episode to share with you today, originally recorded by Sheree Phelps of 10,000hoursofwriting.com. This podcast covers a lot of information about how to navigate differing views in your marriage, especially when it comes to differences in beliefs. If you find this information helpful and you want to know more, make sure to visit Dr. Finlayson Fife's website and check out her two couples courses, Strengthening Your Relationship and Enhancing Sexual Intimacy. Enjoy the episode. This is Cameron Wright, and I'm the author of The Orphan Keeper. And so listeners understand, let me set this scene up for you. The Orphan Keeper is a story of Taj Roland. Now, Taj was a little boy in India who came from a very poor family. They were living in a thatched hut, dirt floor, and he was always running off and getting into trouble. And despite you know his circumstance, sometimes going hungry, he thought life was actually pretty good. Except then when he was about seven, he was kidnapped, he was sold to an orphanage, and then adopted to a family in Utah who thought that he was an orphan. Took Taj about a year to learn enough English to tell them otherwise, and when they realized they were horrified, they tried to find his family, but it was pre-internet and all roads pretty much led to dead ends, and so Taj was raised in the United States. Well, as he grew older, he was around 18 or 19 or 20, um, snippets of memory began to resurface, causing him to wonder about his past and cultivating an intense desire to seek out his heritage. In this scene that you'll listen to, Taj is in London. He's been introduced to an Indian family there, the Tambulis, and he's conversing with the head of the family, Papa Hari, and his son, Pranay. And Taj has noticed that as Hindus, they have a variety of carved figurines of their gods, and It sparks a bit of both memory and curiosity in Taj, and so he wants to know more. So let's listen in. What about your carved figurines? All these little statues? What about them? They're your gods, right? Why so many? Papa Hari wrapped his cane on the floor as if to jar it awake. Why not? As Hindus, we love our variety. We exclude nothing. Yes, we have many gods. Vishnu, Shiva, Saraswati, Lakshmi... In fact, many devout Hindus also worship cows, monkeys, trees, mountains, rivers, even the ocean. In the end, Taj, we believe that God and the many creations in the universe, no matter their form, are one. It's confusing. I would say encompassing. Taj was quiet, hesitant. What is it? Papa Hari asked. Taj picked up a carved, bearded man with four faces and a lotus flower growing from his head. He studied it, placed it beside the others. I must have had some of these same gods when I was a kid. They seem so familiar. You don't have them now? Pranay asked. I'm a Christian. Excellent, Papa Hari chimed in. Excellent? Taj breathed surprise. You don't care that... Papa Hari interrupted. Taj, there is a declaration in our sacred texts that reads Vasudaiva Kutumbakam, which means the whole world is a family. Does your belief help you to become a better person, to grow, to progress? That is our only concern. Navigating and making room for the differing religious views of others can be very challenging, especially within a marriage. But do I want to partner with this person, even though he or she drives me crazy in these other ways? Do I want to still see if we can build something honest and that that person is willing to do that too? And and I think, well, then you can do it. You can find a way. I've worked with lots of couples that find a way, even though they relate to faith differently. My name is Shrey Phelps, and I'm talking with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife about how happy couples navigate religious differences and differences in general within their marriage. 
Wrapping up the conversation, Dr. Finlayson Fife will discuss how to act from a place of strength and integrity when choosing if those differences are too big or too much for the relationship. The closer the relationship is, the harder it is to navigate differences. Um, And I feel like religious differences kind of present a unique challenge separate from just differences in general. I wonder if you can just kind of speak to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, first, the closer someone is, the more the differences impact you. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what someone at church does with their checkbook because it doesn't really affect you. (laughs) Where if your partner doesn't balance a budget or, you know, well, then, of course, it deeply impacts your own happiness. So it's harder to stabilize ourselves around, you know, limitations in the people closest to us because it impacts us, but also just differences that can be inconvenient on one level, make us feel more alone on another level. And I think, um, you know, maybe challenge our own view of things when someone we care about sees things, sees the world, sees us differently than what we currently believe or think. So religious differences are challenging because they they are about the kind of framing reality of your life. And in a way to have those kind of resting assumptions solid and clear, that allows you to kind of get busy with the details of life. And so it's very disruptive to have the kind of anchoring frame be messed with. And especially if spouses are relating to the anchoring frame of life in dramatically different ways. That's very stressful, very hard. Um, But even in minor ways, it can be hard in a marriage because, and I'm not saying that anything's going wrong. In fact, I think if you get two honest people together, you're going to be bumping up against difference as just a fundamental reality of marriage. But I think the more that it, it defines your sense of meaning and place and belonging and direction, I think the more that it's, it's disrupting that, the more difficult it is to navigate without just trying to get the other person to be more like you. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed another reason it feels also complex is because it's not just affecting maybe the, the husband and the wife, but it's also trickling down and it's having an impact on the kids as well. Right. That's right. So it's one of the things that it's harder to agree to disagree on. You know, you can have political differences or something and just agree to disagree. And it doesn't necessarily impact the kids much to have two different points of view. But when it comes down to actual behavior, you're either going to have family home evening or not. You're going to, you know, pay tithing or not. I mean, it's harder to find spaces of difference that don't have some impact on the Uh, how to navigate those differences without it having an impact on actual behavior. And it can be hard when the parents have two different goals for the kid's religious life, for example. And what if, I mean, for example, like they, they maybe share the same religion, same religious views, but maybe they interpret like the Sabbath day differently. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you know, one parent who may be comfortable joining a family get together that involves going golfing on Sunday mm-hmm. and the other spouse feels like that's, you know, there's wrong with that. How do you? Yeah. Well, I think that it's, it's sort of in the frame of, of all differences with one caveat, but I think, you know, what I think is that couples that thrive, they stay in the discussion and they keep wrestling with those differences until they can find a space that they both feel comfortable enough with. And what people usually do is one tries to get the upper hand. Um, And so sometimes, you know, the more devout one will get it because they might be like, well, you know, elder so-and-so said this, and we know that we should do this. And 
sometimes that's the case that they can kind of appeal to authority to kind of just get the other person's position more in alignment. That's not always true. It's sometimes the more dominant personality. And so somebody may feel uncomfortable with going golfing, but because one of the two is just more self-confident and demanding, you go that way. But, but the point is, is that a lot of times people will try to get their view to prevail or resentfully put their view away, both of which can be easier up front than the harder work of, okay, let's think about and kind of deal with how we see things differently and see if we can find some common ground that we can both be at peace enough with. The, the one caveat I was going to give or why I think this can sometimes be difficult is it brings up the question of where is your loyalty, I think, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Is my loyalty to my understanding of authority and obedience and deference to kind of something bigger and outside of the two of us? Or is my loyalty to creating a partnership that doesn't betray the best in me, but it's about working out something between you and me that's honest and fair? And I think when it's like, well, okay, you may not want to obey the Sabbath day in the way that I think, but if I think that's what God wants from me, right? And I have lots of church leaders who are telling me I'm right about that. Well, where is my loyalty and how much flexibility do I have? And I think that's the kind of central question that is at the core of a lot of these struggles. And I think some of the challenge starts to come up where people feel like they are choosing either to be loyal to in a religious, when it comes to religious differences, they Mm -hmm. feel like they're choosing whether to be loyal to God or loyal to their marriage. Well, right. And I think that, um, I don't think you should be married. I don't think you should be loyal to another person. I know it sounds strange. Mm -hmm. I think you should be loyal to your integrity and your sense of what is genuinely good. But sometimes that gets questioned in a meaningful way through a marriage. Like, is my notion of God and what God wants, in fact, true? Or is it a young version of God? And I need to think about what is truly loving in this moment. What is truly faithful in this moment? Uh, What, you know, my, my good part, my good husband or my good wife sees this differently. Do I think they're being dishonest, okay, and really, you know, just trying to live indulgently? And I see it as exactly that. Um, And I can be honest about that fact. Or do I think, you know, that they have an understanding that stretches mine and that's worth me thinking about honestly? You're kind of pointing to the challenge, which is, you know, if I'm, am I getting on kind of moral high ground because it serves me and my fear to get there? Or do I really believe, honestly, that my spouse is doing something indulgent? If your spouse is really doing something self-destructive or, you know, destructive, period, you should never get on board with that because you're less and they're less for it. Um, By getting on board, what I mean is support it, as in actually facilitate it. that's different than allowing you and your spouse to both be in an imperfect process of self-development and spiritual development and sorting out what's true and good. So you have to really check your own motivations. Yeah. But I know a lot of situations, too, where people are married to someone who is, you know, drinking to excess, for example. They are, in fact, doing something destructive, but they use the idea that I don't want to kind of get involved or tell them what to do to not address what they see in an honest way. I also know people who will use their own desire for control that the world will be the way they want it to be to get into a judgmental, harsh position when their spouse doesn't approach the world or faith as rigidly as they do. 
Yeah. So it's, it's, these aren't easy questions. There's no simple answers, but I think the more honestly you, um, take yourself on around it, the, the clearer you can get and really pray prayerfully do it. Like you're really in pursuit with God about what is true. What is creating goodness in my life? This is the person I'm married to. What is the honest position? Where do I see, where do I agree with them? Where do I disagree with them? What informs both, <laughs> you know? So yeah. again, I, I'm not, it's, it's a process. One of the things I remember being in the discussions when I was a missionary was um, that the purpose of life is to get a body, but also to discern between right and wrong, to learn the difference between right and wrong. The implication being it's a lifelong process and, and beyond. And I think that, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think the way that I thought as a younger person was much more rigid and, and easier um, than as I kind of keep living in the complexities of life, which is not to say that there isn't such a thing as right and wrong. I mean, not, not that everything's gray, but mm -hmm. that it takes more wisdom and context and self-scrutiny um, and discernment to know what really is wise and loving and fair. Can you uh, talk about a little bit that like, the self-indulgent, what that looks like? I mean, because you could have two different people, maybe both moving away from the word of wisdom, mm -hmm. and one may be doing that in a self-indulgent mm -hmm. way, and someone else might be doing that more out of like a self-definition mm -hmm. kind of way. Can you kind of explain what that that difference looks like when you're it's an indulgent versus Mm -hmm. out of integrity? Yeah, well, I mean, for starters, I mean, I think something like the word of wisdom, the indulgent would be where somebody's using any substance to get away from themselves and get away from their lives, right? So anytime yeah. anybody would be doing any process, uh, whether that's word of wisdom related or porn or spending money or eating food that is a designed to numb oneself out to handle life's anxiety in an avoidant behavior that's you know a little bit of that in life people always will do a little bit of that you know you watch a movie mm -hmm. when you want to settle down or something but i yeah. think that um in any way that is really making your life worse that when you come back to reality <laughs> you've now got more of a mess that's mm -hmm. always going to be indulgent. That, that is it's being utilized to get away from the responsibilities of one's life. If it's making one more responsible for their life, if one is saying, I don't believe this, or I don't believe this in this way, and I'm honest about it. I don't have to be deceptive about it. I don't have to pretend anything. It's really what I feel is true. You may disagree and you may still think they're wrong, for example, but they're not trying to hide something. They're not using it to get away from something true within themselves. They're claiming who they want to be in the world. And mm -hmm. it may make you uncomfortable because it doesn't reinforce your choices, but it's not d being destructive other than not giving you maybe what you wanted, a spouse who doesn't drink coffee or something like that, you know? Yeah. And so, um, or, you know, representing a shared idea to the kids. And, yeah. you know, these are, these are the challenges of marriage, which is definition of self in a context of being partnered with a person who's different than you. And it's a, it's a, it's a paradox and a tension that, um, is not easy, but is a developmental mechanism. I do think this just comes back to tolerating difference, which is, um, do I want to use judgment as a way to handle my disappointment or my fear? Because I think what we all want is to think I'm going to marry someone who's going to see the world exactly like I do, <laughs> Yeah. share the goals, share the ambitions, you know, roll up their sleeves and do it with me in the same way. Um, maybe have strengths that I don't have, you know, and value my strengths, but ultimately we're just going to be a united front. And, and that's seldom 
what you get in marriage. I mean, you know, you just have to confront more limitations and difference and difference in inconvenient places. And so, yeah, you just have to look at how how busy am I getting getting in there trying to get my spouse to look and and reinf- look like me and reinforce me? Yeah. Now I can be intimate in the sense that I can share my honest view. It's painful for me that you have the view you have. It's hard for me for A, B, and C reasons. Um, you know, it challenges my sense of what I want. It challenges what I thought we would share together. It makes me feel isolated. Um, it makes me feel frustrated because I think your loyalty is to something other than me. Um, so you can be intimate in that you're sharing genuinely what impact it's having on you, as long as you're not trying to do it to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. But to say, okay, we're a partnership, and I'm not trying to tell you you have to be different, but it is hard for me for these reasons. And they might say, well, yeah. I get that. And it's also hard for me that you don't see the world that I I do genuinely because I feel like you're too rigid or you're too fear-based or you're too, whatever the issue might be, you're too critical. And so, but I think when a couple cares about each other, they make that, they, they make room for themselves, but they do care about their impact on the other person and try to be true to both. So, you know, you know, for my husband and I, especially earlier in our marriage, I think we, in reality, we, we were quite similar in terms of our relationship to faith. But in some ways, when we got married, we kind of polarized more where we each took different positions and then kind of managed our ambivalence between ourselves rather than within ourselves. Does that make sense? So one person took a more liberal view. The other one took a more conservative view around faith and then we'd fight each other. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny when I think about it, really. I think we really did identify with both views and it just was easier to fight with another person than who am I around this? What do I want? What do I believe? What what am I going to embrace or not? And, you know, I think in time when we you know, we, we spent most of our time at first just trying to hammer the other person into the correct shape. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, using lots of our own self-righteous <laughs> positions to do that um, or avoid, you know, I think is another way we did it. But I think that in reality, in time, when we could kind of settle down and kind of own our own positions a little bit more. Uh-huh we found there was more nuance within both and also much, how to say it? I think the more you can kind of struggle with yourself instead of the other person, okay, Mm. he or she is going to be who they are. I'm not going to control it. Who am I around it? What do I actually find to be true in my spouse's view that I don't want to deal with? What are they getting that is inconvenient, but I know is they've got a point. And, you know, if I were to live more honestly around that, you know, what might it mean for me? Or if I were to be more fair to them around their view, what might it mean for what I choose? So that you're not just in a power struggle, which is very easy to do in marriage, but instead looking for what's wise in the other person's view. What do they see that you don't either want to deal with or haven't yet seen? Because if you let yourself do that, you, you end up coming to much more similar positions. I don't mean that any people ever does a couple just collapse into each other, nor should they. But you get more able to kind of learn from each other and become wiser people through those two different points of view. And, you know, a lot of who I am and how I talk now has a lot to do with the positions that my husband was much clearer about within himself that I would fight him on for a while. (laughs) And I'm grateful for it because it definitely has made me, I think, a broader thinker, a wiser thinker. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about being, I think how you said it was clear with your view um, that when you're feeling maybe ambivalent about your view, it, it's uh, tempting to mm-hmm. 
I guess, argue more about it. I, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when you are more clear about your view, that it's easier to maybe. Well, when you can be at peace with yourself in it. Uh-huh. And, you know, like for me, there were things when I was writing my dissertation that were distressing for me about, they were disillusioning for me. And it was hard for me. And so rather than kind of metabolizing that myself, sorting out what it meant for me and my faith and so on, it became easy to kind of blast it at my husband in a little bit, you know, like, can you deal with this? And he'd push, <laughs> and, and he'd push back and resist and defend, which would then, you know, make me push back on him. It, yeah. it just became easier to kind of do it outside of myself. And then it was a way to not, and this is normal. I'm not trying to say like, oh, that was so horrible. I mean, I can understand. Right. I can understand why it was going like that. But I, I think it was like easier to fight with him than to fight with myself. Yeah. What do I really want here? What do I really believe? Who am I going to be in the face of some disillusionment yet in a faith that really matters to me? What, where am I going to stand in this? And that was just a process. And I think, you know, the more I pushed myself to be honest with myself, to wrestle with God around it, to sort out who am I going to be, I think the more I came to peace with myself around it, mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't struggling with John. And I was, I am married to somebody who wasn't trying to make me into anything. I mean, he was willing to give me the room to be who I was, even though I think it scared him a little bit. So, you know, I, I think that that allowed me to sort of get comfortable. Not that I thought, oh, I've got everything right, but at least I'm in a peaceful enough position within myself that I can, I mean, I think what it is, is I can, I can sort of own what I think enough to stay open to what I don't yet know. Yeah. It's like, I can hold on to what my honest position is, but without the idea that I've got everything right. It's just where I stand honestly right now. And for me, like when I was a missionary, I think, you know, when I was in the MTC, I remember there was just so much pressure around conformity. Like, mm-hmm. you know, get up and bear your testimony and make sure you hit these four points. <laughs> <You know>? uh-huh. <laughs> and for me, it just felt like brainwashing. It felt false. It felt dishonest to me. To me. I mean, I'm probably more sensitive than other people to these things, but I was like, this feels wrong to me. And so I was really kind of wrestling with God around, is that what you really want from me? Do you just want me to fall in, be a puppet, play a part? Or do you want my honesty? And I I was trying to figure out who God is. You know, does God, is God a God of just compliance and shut up and just do (laughs) do it? Or does God want me to struggle honestly with what is true? And for me, it was very clear in my relationship with God that God wanted me to struggle honestly with what was true, not to be indulgent or to like, you know, use that to get away from things I didn't want to see or deal with, Uh but to really be earnest and honest, that was, that was the right path. And so I think that, you know, that's been helpful for me because I think that's what, I think that's what God asks of all of us is that we're, we're striving to be as honest as we can, even though we're only touching part of the elephant. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the only way we're going to come to a collective wisdom. A, a greater wisdom. And some people are having very different experiences and they, and they have different realities for good reasons. And it's not because they're wrong, even if their point of view is limited by their experience, just as it is for anyone else. And so it sounds like, I mean, partly what you're saying when, when you're struggling with differences, I mean, it's sometimes the tension with the struggling with the differences isn't so much about the differences, like the topic of the differences, mm-hmm. but that, that tension that's created is partly it's starting to expose maybe areas in your personal life where you're underdeveloped or where the relationships underdeveloped and it's, it's exposing flaws and limitations and weaknesses yeah. maybe within the relationship or yourself 
That's right. So that tension's not just about the difference. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly right. It's easy to be like, what is the problem with my spouse? You know, like if they would just yeah. be more like me, everything would be going way better. <laughs> and that's a very, very tempting idea. And in my case, it's true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No. So it's a very tempting idea. And, but you know, how to say it? It's like, it's, it's, those are the gifts because there's, pers- what do I not yet understand? How am I not yet developed? Um, you know, I think one of the real liabilities in our country, and, and this has been true with the internet and the ability to create these echo chambers of information is that people can go and find a group of people that reinforce their very mm-hmm. limited view. And then they can shout at other people in a self-righteous way about how stupid the other side is when they're so blind to what they don't yet understand that they don't see how much that other echo chamber has scapegoated them. And, and this is just a really huge problem we have. And it makes us very vulnerable as a society. And when you just get social reinforcement for your view, it's very easy to be ridiculously blind to what's true. And so you have to, if you're going to be a wise person, you have to walk towards what you don't yet understand and tolerate the disruption of it and the discomfort of it. And I find it very, very disruptive and uncomfortable. (laughs) I never enjoy it. And, you know, but I'm always grateful when I tolerate that because if it expands my understanding of humanity, of other groups of people, of what they understand about the world that I don't yet understand. It helps me be, first of all, a better person, a kinder person, but also a wiser person. And you don't want to be working with just a really limited roadmap in a complex world. It's, it's, it's a liability and it makes you vilify people too. You've talked a lot about like owning your view, honestly. Um, I wonder if you get it just kind of talk about like what that means to you when you hold on to your view honestly. And I mean, by holding on to your view, um, you're, you're not dismissing no. yeah. someone else's differing views and you're not, and by making room for someone else's views, you're not necessarily betraying your own views. That's but, right. I mean, what does yeah, that yeah, look like? Yeah. Well, it's like, I'm comfortable enough in my ability to be a person who will discern honestly that I can tolerate understanding and invalidating view because I trust myself to look at that information honestly. I trust myself. I think people that feel the most afraid of alternative views is they feel like they can't, that that if they open themselves up to the view, their own view or their own sense of self will get obliterated. So they're mm-hmm. resisting as a, they're fending off any other view because they feel fragile in their ability to stabilize themselves around what they think. So they either go out and demand other people see things the same way, or they will just fold into the view of somebody who's more confident around them. I think the people that are the most humble in the true sense of the word, like receptive and willing and willing to learn and grow, in mm-hmm. fact, paradoxically, have more comfort with their ability to stabilize their own perspective, that they trust themselves to discern and to think through it honestly. Hmm. And so they don't agree with something just because they're getting pressured. But if they change their mind, it's because they genuinely change their mind. They're like, no, I think that that's true. I think I've been missing that idea. I think Mm -hmm. I haven't been fair in my understanding of that perspective. And that sounds right to me. And that's a very that's why it's a virtue humility is because you stay open to what you don't yet understand but that's not to say like i understand nothing or i yeah. have nothing so so for me it's not about i know i'm right but this is my most my best and most honest assessment of what is and so it's like it's self defining it's self expressing but it's also leaves room for but i may not fully understand it yet like that is this is what I think, but I may be wrong. And, and both can be true. That's not like I think nothing and whatever I think is stupid. No, 
nor is it that I got everything settled so I don't need to listen to you. Collaborative couples are really able to do that. They're able to say, this is my honest view of our child's challenge. This is how I see you playing a role in it, spouse, and how I play a role in it. That's how I see it. But it's coming from my view only. How do you see it? Because a collaborative couple can get their their genuine perspectives on the table and then look at where the other person is seeing it differently and ask themselves honestly, what are they right about in that? Couples that are more limited will just get into a entrenched power struggle. Whose reality is going to dominate here? Yeah. And they then they limit the intelligence in the couple. And when you explain it that way, the dynamics of what it could look like, the collaboration, like it, it, it's a very, I think, appealing yes. thing to create in your relationship. 100%. To have that collaboration, to have those differing viewpoints and perspectives and be able to. But it takes some moral courage because your ego, you have to sacrifice your ego and your sense of security around an idea. I mean, human beings love ideas because they kind of anchor us. Mm. But to be willing to, you know, you know, probably like everybody on the on in the United States over the last four years, was, would get so clear about their own view generally, and just yeah. be like, what is the matter with the other side? Like people are whacked on the other side, and right. <laughs> and that was just very easy for two groups of people to be very confident about that. What I think was, and then of course the media and all that would fuel that narrative of the crazy on the other side. And I think a much harder question is, what am I missing? Because a whole group of good enough people, right, see mm -hmm. it differently. Right. What am I missing? And it's amazing how hard it is to do that, to like literally walk in the shoes of the other side and say, what do they see that I don't see? How do they see me? How do they see themselves? How do they, you know, so it, it's very um, stretching to do it, but so important because if you want to be smart about how we solve things as a country, you have to know what you don't know. So I know that's just one version of this, but that's hard yeah. to do in life. It's hard to do in a marriage. People tend to get more hunker down and, and push into their own view and complain to their friends about how whacked their spouse is. <laughs> right? Rather it's much than, more fun. Right? It's way more fun. And they're like, oh my gosh, I do not know how you put up with that person. Right? <laughs> Rather than, okay, what am I missing here? And what does the world look like from their perspective? And what do I look like from my spouse's perspective? You know, sometimes I've asked myself that question and I haven't liked what I see, <laughs> I have to say. And it's like, oh gosh, you know, I just have to be better, right? I'm just not being good. So um, so that's the kind of thing you'll ever do, but it does take moral courage and that's why we resist it. And as much as I know that it's the right thing to do, I think I resist it like every time. Because <laughs> it hurts, it's uncomfortable and it's just destabilizing for a little bit until you restabilize at a higher level of understanding. One challenge, maybe one thing that gets in the way that makes it challenging for us to, for it, within a, a marriage, mm -hmm. to discuss differing views mm -hmm. is there's almost like within the culture, maybe within the religious culture, this idea that confrontation is mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's wrong. That's the wrong idea. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're saying that, you know, in a marriage, you're going to bump up against differences. You're going to have invalidating realities. Right. If you're being honest anyway. I mean, I think that there, first of all, I think that what, what is meant by that is contempt and contention is bad. And mm -hmm. I know couples who don't even talk to each other that are loaded with contempt. <laughs> okay. So, so they're not fighting yeah. in the overt sense, but there's just so much hostility. So hatred will always undermine any relationship obviously and yeah. so dealing with your hostility matters but any marriage that is honest and growing and passionate is going to have friction that comes out of two honest people trying to forge a life together and again because that's uncomfortable a lot of times 
people will do one of two things, which I talk about in my courses all the time, which is they'll either try to dominate and get their view to dominate, or they will succumb or yield to keep the peace. So it can look healthier than it is because it might not have a lot of conflict, but there's resentment in the marriage. Mm -hmm. resentment for the more dominant one for the validation they don't get for the love and admiration they don't get often or the one who's yielding so much for the sense that they're disappearing in the marriage that there's no room for them and so these are kind of immediate resolutions that help you kind of navigate the discomfort of those of of confronting or seeing those differences but they have a long-term negative effect and I don't mean you just go in, you know, guns a blazing around every difference. Of course, <laughs> I mean yeah. you want to you want to take yourself on first a bit, uh, which you know is like kind of what what is my view and is it important and is it important enough to bring up and how do I see my spouse? How do I see myself around this? And and is there a way to to talk about this while still being decent to each other? I mean that's the thing. Yeah. You can have conflict without getting indecent. In fact, I think a lot of times just, you know, never, like, I know of a situation where the the husband would just never put any checks on the marriage. And so he'd never, ever tell his wife what to, to do, ever. But that was bad for him because it created resentment. But it was bad for her, too, because marriages need the checks and balance of two honest people. Like, no, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) No, you shouldn't say that, you know. (laughs) And I'm not saying that you have to just do what your spouse says, but at least it's putting some friction in there to get you to sort of self-check a bit and to think about who you are. And that's very valuable. Um, Talking about how you come to place, like with integrity of deciding and choosing if a specific difference is too big for Mm -hmm. the marriage or the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I went in one of your podcasts, you use an example of a client or a friend whose husband was, you know, choosing, wanting multiple mm-hmm. partners. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that feels easier to say, yeah, that's too big. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if like, if two people, different people, maybe their spouse are choosing to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. is I mean, is it possible for it to be too big? For one person, but not too big for the other person, oh, but yeah. yet they're both doing it with integrity. Does oh, that make I sense? see what you're saying. That it's too, I, yes. I, I, like you can't just make a list and say, well, these things are too big and these things aren't too big. So if this yes. is what's happening, you should just get on board and make room for it. Let me see. I have to think about that. I have to think about, is it, you know. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's too much to ask all at once. I, it's hard for me to know necessarily like that question of can it be too big for one and not too big for the other. The only thing that makes me wonder about that is if you know that what I'm doing is really truly asking too much of my spouse. Uh-huh. But I, I think that I don't, I don't know the answer in any succinct way. What I guess I would say is I think that that's an important question for people to really take on within themselves very seriously, which is, can I really give this? Can I give this and be honest with myself? Can I be at peace with it? Even if I don't wish it were true, like let's say you have a spouse who drinks alcohol, can I, can I be tolerant of it and say they matter more to me than this particular choice and I want to be in a partnership with them even though it's not my favorite thing and I don't like it and, and I wish it weren't the case. but. I honestly choose them. I I Mm -hmm. think that, or is it just too much that I will feel too much resentment that I will make them pay every day of the marriage and I just can't give it. Even if I think I should, I know that I can't. That's where I think you just have to take deep responsibility for yourself. And it's easy. I guess what I'm, I'm not really answering your question. I'm just saying what I think is required of a high integrity person is to really Mm -hmm. own that choice one way or the other. What's the easier move is I'm just going to make you pay for not being the person I wish you were, (laughs) but I'm not going to go anywhere. Do you have, I mean, either some examples that you could share of people dealing with some differences and the choices they made around them, either too big or 
mm-hmm. learning to work with them or I mean the ones where I've seen people where it's like it's just more than I can do has often to do with issues around fidelity um mm-hmm. you know because that's just it's just it's 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 undermining my dignity to be here mm-hmm. and where I've seen some people who really say I can't do it I do care about you but I'm leaving and they leave and they leave in a way that has dignity in it and they leave in a way that has integrity in it and they go on to live good lives even though it was lo- a, a lot was lost and I've heard people where they they just want to make the person pay all the time, but they don't want to actually stand up and take responsibility for their choice. Mm-hmm. The smaller things, you know, I, I guess I've, I've worked with a lot of couples where religious differences have emerged sort of mid-marriage. Yeah. And it can be hard and there can be a lot of struggle around it and a question of like how much, how honestly is this couple going to deal with this? Versus just kind of hide from each other a little bit of who you each are. And um, I haven't seen a couple that ends the marriage over those differences where there wasn't already a lot of anger and resentment and immaturity that was already operating in the marriage. And this just became like the last straw. Mm-hmm. Um where when it's a solid marriage and there's already a, quite a bit of trust there, well, then it just means the two are figuring out how do we how do we build a bridge, and I think it ends up shaping both people in a lot of ways. Um, so I can't oh, say that I have any good examples of where somebody was like out of integrity saying I can't make room for your honest difference. Um, because even the person who's having, you know, changing in a particular way, if they're doing it with integrity, they also care what impact it has on their partner. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is the differences, like whether or not they're too big kind of depend upon the quality of the relationship. Yes. And how much you care about the impact. Like, like, you know, one couple... Uh, she was just telling me she wasn't a client, but somebody at a workshop was saying, you know, her husband went through a faith transition. He started drinking and she sort of took a self-righteous, you lose her position, you know, keep your beer in the garage. So he mm-hmm. did. And then she said she kind of came to a place of realizing that she just kind of punished him for so long about this and that she didn't feel good about who she was. And that even though she wished it were different, that she felt unloving. She felt like it was indulgent on her part. And so she um, came home to him and said, you know, I, I've been thinking about myself and I don't like who I've been with you. And I don't think I've been fair. And you can, you can put it in the regular fridge. Like I'm not going to banish you to the garage anymore. Yeah. And he just said, you know what? I really appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that to me. I appreciate your goodness. And even looking at yourself, but I don't want to do, I know that you don't like it. I don't want it to undermine you. And I'm just going to keep it in the garage. <laughs> so yeah. It's like that kind of like, I care about you. We do have a difference. It probably is hard for both of us a bit, but me caring about you and my impact on you is the primary thing. That's how couples build that bridge. I mean, maybe partly it could feel too big if there's not that um, the the both people turning to each other and finding ways to make it work for yes, each other. Like right. if it feels like it's a one way thing, that might make it feel too yes, big. Exactly. And so you may not like the particular behavior, but there's also this larger picture of a person who isn't really invested in my happiness. And maybe that's the biggest issue. Yeah, because I say all the time, you know, um, happy couples handle quite a bit of difference. It's it's John Gottman's research points to this. It's the way they do the difference that's the big difference in happiness. Is it mm-hmm. around self justification and demand and resentment, or is it about we're different people? I care about you. I want to be true to myself, but I don't want to harm you either. How do we do this? <laughs> that, yeah. that kind of kindness 
is what ultimately allows couples to learn from each other and to be friends in a complex world where there's a lot of differences and a lot of differences in perspective and choices. Can we still be kind to each other in the face of that? That's the big issue. I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that every day we are thrown into the arena of confronting differences. We are constantly facing the challenge of navigating differing views, opinions, and beliefs. That happens at work, in your marriage, with your in-laws, helping your child with their math homework during gospel doctrine class, and on social media. And how we choose to navigate those differences matters. If I had to pick and choose only 60 seconds from this entire interview to share with you to navigate the differing views in your life, this would be it. It's like that kind of like, I care about you. We do have a difference. It probably is hard for both of us a bit, but me caring about you and my impact on you is the primary thing. That's how couples build that bridge. What I think is that couples that thrive, they stay in the discussion and they keep wrestling with those differences until they can find a space that they both feel comfortable enough with. Yeah. So it's, it's, these aren't easy questions, there's no simple answers, but I think the more honestly you um, take yourself on around it, the, the clearer you can get. But I think when a couple cares about each other, they make that they, they make room for themselves, but they do care about their impact on the other person and try to be true to both. Taj, there is a declaration in our sacred texts that reads Vasudaiva Kutumbakam, which means the whole world is a family. Does your belief help you to become a better person? to grow, to progress, that is our only concern. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.